Hey, this is Kim Davis, and welcome to another DMN one-on-one podcast. And today, my guest is Stefan Tauber, who's an experienced strategist with SCG. Welcome. Hi, thanks, thanks, Kim. Thanks for having me. Um, well, let's start off with just what that means. Experienced strategist is a great title. What, what's it all about? Well, so um, originally, uh, it's funny that you ask, originally I actually started with a, with a design background as an architect, and mm-hmm. experience strategy is still something what is developing in the industry, but what it really means is, if you look at advertisement, or traditional advertisement right now, it's somewhat the effectiveness of it is waning, and it doesn't get the attention it used to get from, from consumers uh, across the board. So now, as experienced strategist, I look really into uh, taking marketing initiatives and taking business goals and start making it actionable. And what, what that really means is I, I want to look at taking consumers on an adventure, making them excited of what they're seeing through physical and digital experiences, because then at the end of the day, what I really get is attention. And most likely that attention will then eventually uh, translate into profit for the brand and the company at the end of the day. Okay, now building an experience in the present day and age means building an experience across channels. And what we're going to talk about that and also what we're going to come on to ultimately is some very interesting lessons we can learn from how the music business has faced its challenges over the years. But first of all, tell me a bit about uh, SEG and a bit about your omnichannel project. Yeah, of course. Um, so SEG is pretty much a, a collection of three agencies, which are Set Spaces, Set Life, and uh, Set Bespoke. And what we really uh, cover there are the, the three parts of Set Spaces with experiential brand uh, design and, and physical experiences. We have Set Life with social activations and events. And then we have Set Bespoke with really more going down to custom fabrication and, and prototyping, really creating and executing the experiences we we essentially envisioning. And, you, you know, throughout, I'm um, just working uh, at the set experience, we'll be always looking at the state of retail, the the, 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 the state of consumer affairs, so to speak. Right. And uh, obviously you notice, uh, or there was the big outcry about retails dying and retails changing and physical stores uh, on High Street are waning. You, you know, you, you're from London, outside from London yourself. Sure, yeah. I, I grew up in Berlin. We see it here in New York. So, so you see it across the globe that High Street real estate has been raining, um, strip malls losing anchor tenants, uh, and then also just physical retail of mom and pop stores are dying, right? right. But, the, but the, the big essence there is that not necessarily physical retail is dying because it's quite the opposite. It's actually that the retail concept is shifting and it becomes more progressive. And some of the key tenants like banks and pharmacies you used to see became more digital native. So what that really led us to then is looking at the omnichannel journey, which for any of our listeners is not really... Um, a magical term mm-hmm. or something new, but the point there is understanding how to navigate the omnichannel environment and also how to integrate experiences. And what I, what I really started doing there is uh, I started building um, one part of a four-part series mm-hmm. where I really look at the different stages of the omnichannel journey from the beginning of an activation cycle. So you could imagine you have a brand and you want to kick it off with an amazing event or a live performance to really get excitement in a physical space around your brand. Mm-hmm. Then the next step would be obviously the, the, the e-tail, right? So now e-commerce, your social channels, you maybe create attractions for your event and now people want to talk about it in the social realm because you can't expect that everybody will physically attend your event, let's say, in New York. Sure, yes. So, you know, if you have a thousand people show up in the real space, you probably have millions talking about it online. So, so there's a great opportunity then for you to capitalize on that and take it through your own website or your third-party website if you sell on Amazon or eBay or, or, mm-hmm. or somewhere else, excuse me. And then physical retail is the next step. Uh, I'm also looking at like how, how could you perform in your own retail space? How can you actually get people back 
into the physical store. And then the last cycle, what I, what I somewhat call the care cycle, where I'm really looking at okay. how to engage consumers after they actually after made the purchase. Of, yeah. And how do, how do you keep them even engaged and excited to share what they actually experienced with your brand? Which is also really important. You cannot just, to me, the sales, the, the point of sale is just the beginning of a relationship, not necessarily the end of um, of a relationship. Okay. Now, what I really caught my eye about your work is uh, the way you related this to the struggles of the music industry. Because I remember going back just a few years, everyone was saying that the music industry is dying. There's so much free music online. There were the Napsters and all these various places where you could download your artists and <coughs> excuse me, not really pay them the uh, <laughs> pay them what they they deserved, and the music industry was going to fall apart. But it didn't. It found ways to deal with its new reality. So yeah. let's let's talk about uh, ab about its problems and how it responded. Yeah, and and just real quick, um, how, how I got into music and marketing. So marketing, we understood, right? I do yeah. experience strategy. Music actually came from uh, in Berlin um, 16 years ago. I actually started DJing, um, <laughs> and as you can imagine, Berlin at the time, as it is now, it was very flourishing with independent artists. Uh, seen especially in the music industry, so it was always dear to my heart to to yeah. to witness what what is happening in the music industry. But to your point, yeah, I mean, if we, we if we have an outcry in fashion retail or big box retail right now, we should really look at what the music industry went to. I mean, we're looking at music retail as a whole completely being wiped off the map of mm -hmm. of. of um, Retail. Um, I mean, just with the the latest example, when you when you think about it again, the Virgin Music Mega Store sure. and Times Square, one of the last staples, one of uh, previously one of the biggest music stores in the world, disappearing. Uh, department stores disappearing. Record stores disappearing. Then you looked at festivals. I mean, if you look at the history of festivals after Woodstock, where you had. A, in the 60s, 400,000 people. And I just recently went to Woodstock so I could actually see the site. <laughs> right. But then after that, 70s and 80s, you saw a complete disappearance from festivals because of uh, violence, they were banned, there was obviously an issue with uh, uh, substance abuse. <laughs> so, so you literally saw another channel for music and artists mm -hmm. being completely wiped out, no retail. No festival environment. And then right. on top of that, you have such a tight competition within music releases that you, I mean, imagine you see right now just on Spotify alone, you see about 15,000 songs, new songs being uploaded a month. Wow. I mean, that, that, that themselves is a year for yourself of listening pleasure. So, so now imagine that. But now on the flip side, to your point, going forward to 2018, what do we have now? We see people listening more to music than ever before. And in fact, if you want to be nerdy about the stats, we look at 32 hours a week now. So, so imagine <laughs> wow. yeah. more than a day just yeah. listening to music. Digital platforms, obviously Spotify, iTunes, uh, Amazon Music, etc. Now we're looking at uh, 185 billion streams just on, on those platforms. And then we also look, um, I talked about uh, festivals earlier, we also see them on the rise again. Now we have a hundred, upwards of 150 festivals a year. Attendance is going through the roof so that some of the festivals even add additional weekends because right. they, they want to really cater to the, the demand. And then on top of that, you also see analog media places coming back, record stores coming mm -hmm. back, and actually vinyl coming back. And I'm going to talk about this in a, in a little bit, but at the end of the day, the new generation, if it's X, uh, Y, or Z, are spending their money on experiences, and not just experiences, on musical experiences. So even within the music industry, the most money is spent on live concerts, and festivals, and physical experiences. So a tremendous comeback, and because the, 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 the comeback was so grand and so exciting, I was starting to look at what were some of the key behaviors 
some of these music brands were showing too. Right, because uh, you know, when I was growing up, and for many years, the music industry was about selling actual physical goods. It was about selling records. It was about selling CDs, selling cassettes. And now we're talking about selling experiences, and they found a way to make money out of that. So let's go through some of the things they did. I, one of the things I know you refer to is the way they amplify existing behaviors in their audience. Yeah. And and that kind of goes a little bit to the excerpt of the the history of music, and it's always always closely connected to the technological advancements, right? Yeah. So so when you look at, I kind of almost like describe it as three phases of adapting to human behaviors and techn technological developments. When you go back to the gramophone in the late eighteen hundreds, right. That whole period was about mu enjoying music as a group out loud, right? You, you, you would play it in your home and other people would listen to it. Same with the LP when it came out in the 1940s, right? Then when you think about, like, people started driving cars. So what happened? Music started adapting to right. the behavior of driving. So in the 1930s, I wasn't there, but I would imagine <laughs> the Studebaker had the first radio, what was called the Motorola. Okay. And it was the first time that you could actually enjoy music while you were driving. Mm -hmm. So then... Next phase was all about taking music on the go, right? So you knew 60s, the cassette came out, yeah. 70s, the Walkman came out, which yeah. I still had a so Walkman that long myself. Ago? Wow. <laughs> yeah, right? It's, it's, uh, so uh, the Walkman came out, yeah. the 80s, you had the CD, you knew there was a big, um, um, come, um, how do you say, uh, the, the mini disc player came up. Yes. And then after that, so that was all enjoy music on the go, right? And the artists had again adapt to that. How do, how do I cater to an audience that now takes music on the go, right, mm -hmm. and enjoys it in a more personal level? And then the last step really being um, uh, being uh, music is anywhere now, right? Yes. So we talk about satellite radio, we talk about uh, streaming platforms, we talk about the Internet of Things, right? Now when you think about the first speakers that came out in, in a home setting, if it was sure. wireless speakers or... BLE-enabled speakers. But if you've got a mobile phone, you've practically got all the music in the world in your pocket. Exactly. Yeah. And you remember, you remember that famous advertisement when the, when the iPod came out, 2001, mm -hmm. Thousand Songs in Your Pocket, which yeah. was highly, highly powerful, right? So, so, so with that in mind, um, I started drawing a parallel with an example we, uh, we actually did in the past for, for Sennheiser headphones. When you think about, especially in an urban setting like New York, you see people commuting all the time. Mm -hmm. And one of the, the main things what people do when they commute, they listen to music. You see people on their phones, you see them having headphones on. And as a brand, you start, you don't have to work against this behavior. You should actually like amplify it. You should right. adapt to it. So, so for, for a brand like Sennheiser, who's, for instance, um, very uh, advanced in, in developing headphones, superior headphones for the last 70 years for audio audiophiles. Now you want to think about how do I get to the mass market, right? And the approach there was, what we did at SEG was that we, that we started talking about showing up at the Oculus, one of the transportation right. hubs yeah. in New York. So you know there's a lot of, of course, traffic, yeah. Yeah. people walking by. And we just simply asked them to plug in their own device to a pair of Sennheiser headphones. So at the end, you really start saying, people already listen to music. I don't ask them to do anything more different. The only thing we really add is make it a little bit more visual. We, we started developing something what, what brought like the excitement and the motion of, of music to life through its three-dimensional space. Mm -hmm. and at the end of the day, the behavior was very natural and not disturbing at all for the audience. And that's how you invite people into your brand. See, yeah, don't experience. make them do something else. Make them do something they already enjoy doing, but in a, an yeah. experiential context. Okay, and the other thing, you, you touched on it a bit earlier, is perhaps it's a surprise, but although you can put all the music in the world in your pocket, People are having a craving for vinyl again. I mean, what's, what's happening there? Yeah, and that, that's exciting for, for me because I started on vinyl as a DJ sure. and then I went more digital and now I'm, now I'm back on vinyl. So 
Yeah, so, so as you see with a lot of things, um, there was actually an interesting book back in the days where it was called Trends and Counter-Trends, and mm -hmm. it was during a time, um, I believe it was written by a former Target uh, VP, and she was talking about how the Hummer and the Mini were the most popular cars at the same time while being so different, right? Right, yeah. So at the same time, now when you think about nowadays, streaming platforms, billions of streams, high exposure, super high engagement, right? But at the same time, Vinyl is back. Yeah. Uh, we, we see vinyl factories popping up again. In the UK, we saw, uh, you would like to hear that, uh, in the UK, we saw vinyl outstripping digital sales for music media. Right. And at the same time, you see in record stores coming back. So retail is back, right? Now, now yeah. we get a form of, of, of musical retail back. And, and the, the beauty of that really is record stores are cultural aggregators for a community. So I'll give you an example. I, I've been, I just came back from Paris, right? If I go to Paris and I went to a record store, and I bought vinyl because mm -hmm. that's what I like to do. If I go to a city, I get a flavor of the community of Paris. I get the French touch music. I get the French house. When I went to Tokyo uh, a couple of months ago, I found an album from Blondie in mint condition from the 70s. Mm -hmm. I can find anywhere else with like uh, the hero Katakana riding on top, mm. a release that was so special to Japan only and when I'm in Berlin or New York I get again a different flavor of the of the community so 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 these these stores really become part of the community and when you think about what other retail format still makes people stay for hours at a time right and 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 invites them and the other thing what's really crucial and uh, how we can translate it to other brands is uh, and I want to give two quick examples here one example would be Amazon Prime Day mm -hmm. this year Amazon is a uh, it's a digital native sales platform. Yeah. That's what they do. It's a commodity. They sell goods. End of story. But nonetheless, for Prime Day, their number one tentpole sales event of the year, they started dropping physical experience across the globe. Milan, London, New York, where they started uh, presenting in real time their business verticals. If it was fashion, if it was music, if it was other commerce, uh, commerce verticals. And again, they made it tactile. Yeah. Because that's the way how they can start building memories, create emotions, and, and really touch the consumer at a very, very um, different level. And that, that takes us very neatly into the, uh, the next topic, which is that although you can have a live experience, bring people together in a certain space... It's limited the extent to which you can scale that. I mean, you get a, you know, a few thousand people at your event, you're doing very well. But that's not where that experience ends, is it, thanks to social? Yeah, and, 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 and with social, there, there are really two things. So, so when I say social amplification, of course, and, and that was always the worry of CMOs, okay, I'm just showing up in one location. Do I really get the same exposure I would get with a digital banner ad mm -hmm. or, with an, or with a TV commercial, et cetera, et cetera. And you would be quite surprised. Uh, I had this example of uh, the Ultra Music Festival in, in Miami, which I attended a couple of years ago, and I might attend again next year. Um, but in a physical attendance, you, you have about 330,000 people over the three days, the course of three days, which is obviously a lot of people. Yeah, lot. But now when you, when you start looking into the online space, in real time, you had 14 million people watching uh, the festival live. And what, what, what the music industry does there, they are very particular with how they are able to share their experience mm -hmm. with a grand audience. They have drone footage where you have drones flying over the audience recording the impressions of the audience. So, so the viewer who maybe is in a completely different country can really look closely um, to the festival. You have also the point of view of the artist, so you almost feel like, uh, oh, I'm actually the one who's performing on stage. So again, very clever ways to do that. So, so, so as, a, as a brand, 
you have to be really smart about two things. You have to be assertive that you create experiences that are worth sharing. Just having a, a beautiful background or maybe an Instagramable moment is not something necessarily what drives people now to share it anymore. Right. You also, at the same time, have to look at ways, if you have an event or, or a physical experience that not everybody can attend in person, how can you actually make other people online, maybe through a microsite experience where they can start controlling stuff of their experience from wherever they are, but something happens actually in the physical space. And then lastly, um, if you actually start looking into... Um, the shared content you, you gather, how do you start measure that, right? Because yes. if you get 40 million views, right, as a brand, this is great exposure, that's great awareness for you, but you want to penetrate closer mm -hmm. into your brand. So, so you have to start looking into how do I get them closer into my retail channel? How do I make these 40 million viewers now buy my merchandise, buy my products, and actually start distributing into the other channels? So it's really about creating the right content and then also making sure how to measure it and how to distribute it throughout my other channels when, when I do that um, through social. Okay. Now, running out of time, sadly, so one final question. I know something you talk about is the artist's journey. And we're all very familiar with how some artists are great at taking their fans on a journey, not just through a concert, but through their, their whole artistic career. I mean, Beyonce springs to mind, and there are many of them. Can you take people on a journey with a product or service in the same kind of way? Oh, yeah, yeah, and um, I, I kind of want to, um, again, um, sh show a couple of examples from the music industry. Sure. There, there, there are two things what, what artists and labels are really clever about, uh, creating transparency, creating trust, and also creating immediacy, right? Um, like you said, and, and uh, I have a couple of examples here I just want to leave with our listeners to, mm -hmm. to get inspired really how we can start um, adapting that for other brands, right? So, so, the, so the first example I had was uh, boutique festivals, right? I talked about yes. big festivals before. Boutique festivals are now driven, are like a curated form of music which are now driven by artists. So, so you could almost think about in a retail format that becomes now a pop-up experience, right. which is very curated. Though. It's not just like a general uh, commercial buying experience. It's actually a very curated experience. So for instance, the Gorillas, they're going to have a, event, a festival, what's called the Demon Days, mm -hmm. and they really selected, hand-picked the artists they want to they want to cure it at the festival sure. they wanted to limit yeah. the size and they wanted to keep it very special so that's really important uh, as an example for immediacy I, I would bring up for instance boiler room tv boiler room is pretty much almost a media network which um, showcases live performances of djs oh. across the world and it's not just and the beauty of boiler room is not just that they, that they show music but it's actually the the crowd gathering around the dj so there's no distance you, you are in like a hand's reach from right. actually being in control. And then on top of that, what Boiler Room does also very well when it, it comes to immediacy, they give you access to maybe musical cultures or even like uh, consumer cultures you maybe wouldn't be as familiar with. So you have maybe Boiler Room in Johannesburg. You maybe have Boiler Room in Ra Ramallah. Again, like places where you maybe originally don't see as much commercial exposure. Mm -hmm. And that, that's really fantastic that, that they're doing that. Another example of what... Um, where um, music brands really involve the artists, uh, the artists, uh, the audience really well is um, remix contests. Remix contests. So, yeah. so you know, customization was a big thing yeah. in, in physical retail, right? But it normally ends at the at the point of like um, the consumer being a consumer, not a creator. Now, mm -hmm. with Instagram and other platforms, you see a lot of people want to become creators, right? Yes, so, music does it really well because now me as an aspiring artist, for instance. And an established artist has a new song. But instead of building it by themselves, they want to build it with me 
yeah. the fan, yeah. but also at the same time the creator. So what they do is they share the stamps, which are parts of the song, and start me develop the song jointly with them. You see the same with remix competitions. And then on the other hand, what you also see really well in the music industry is um, something what they call talent pools, right? So spinning records in Nether uh, a Dutch um, uh, artist label does it really well. They have a talent pool, again, for aspiring um, DJs and, yeah. and producers. And you see, you see the same now with more commercial brands. You see Lego has Lego ideas, where Lego yes, starts course, talking yes. about, oh, this is what our creators want to build and see, and we might commercialize it. You could see uh, Xbox has Xbox ambassadors, mm -hmm. and Sephora, for instance, as a beauty brand, has uh, Beauty Insider. So, so there's a lot of uh, of like this creator culture and really uh, raising the next generation within your brand there. And lastly, um, the last thing is really about drop culture. You heard a lot about that, the scarcity model of of providing a limited edition, oh, yes. a limited yes. product, a limited service. You, you see that across the fashion industry a lot. But now when you actually think back, music was one of the first ones who did that. Mm -hmm. Through all these collaborations, right? Because all of a sudden you got a mix of musical flavors you never experienced before, right? And at the same time, now you see fashion brands like Supreme or Off-White with Nike or in a more commercial sense, H&M and Target doing these collaborations. So again, there was this idea of creating unique experiences by combining things in a very limited format at a very limited time to a very limited audience. And, and that, that's really just a, a little dipstick, a little yeah. scratch on like how music can really enrich uh, experiences within the omnichannel um, journey. Yeah, and of course, when you can share these experiences, you're starting to build a community, which is uh, wonderful for a brand. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, we've had a lot to think about there, a lot of inspiring ideas. Thanks very much for joining us today. Thank you. That was a blast. Thank you.